Go ahead and turn to Genesis 6. I'm going to recap a little bit from last week. If you know our subject, our subject going all the way back before Christmas is on angels and demons. Uh, We spent a couple of services, a couple Wednesday nights talking about angels, talking about how God created them as a completely separate, organized order of angels. We talked about how there is a hierarchy. There are archangels. There are other angels. There are angels that worship. There are, And we see all these things kind of interspersed throughout the Bible. When we pull them all together, we can begin to have an understanding of the subject of the angelic and the demonic. And uh, we talked last week. I have a question. How many had ever heard of the word Nephilim before last week, if you were here? You had heard of it before? Amen. How many had not heard of that word? Amen. There's quite a few of you. How many aren't going to raise your hand no matter what I ask? Just shoot. Thank you, Ray. Thank you for being honest over here, Hannah. We got some honest folk in the house tonight. That's good. That's a good thing. But I'm really just curious because any time that we delve into these things, and, and again, I laid out for you last week the three prominent theories of this verse that we looked at in Genesis 6 and tied it together with the understanding of a few things of how long people lived. Um, You know, Adam lived into his 900s and you had Methuselah that lived way up there and you had others that are mentioned in the Bible that just lived a lot of years. And I really think that that's important to understand because think of something for just a minute. We talked last week in the scripture that we're going to talk about tonight that people had become increasingly wicked. We're going to read those scriptures here in just a minute. But people, the earth and the people on the earth had become increasingly wicked to the point where in Genesis it talks about how God actually, one version I read today said it broke God's heart that he had even created man. And uh, was, was very sorrowful over the condition of men. And if you're reading that and you read it quickly, you may skip all the way through it and say, man, it just people were just bad. They were evil. They were doing evil. But to understand, if, if, if of course, Adam lived that long, Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. We don't know how long that was. We don't know the time frame before the fall and man entering into sin and the curse of man and all those things in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 that are explained to us. We don't know how long that was, but it was certainly incredible and impactful. And Adam lived a long time. So the tradition of the Jews was passed down as oral tradition. So he would have shared with people the things that God taught him and the things that God did. And, and it's understand, important to understand as we go into our topic tonight, there's, there's about three prevailing theories on where demons come from. And I'm not up here to try to argue one theory or another. I'm just going to lay them out before you. And it's, it's really surprising to me that I've actually come to a completely different conclusion than what I held before. And uh, we're going to look at that tonight. You guys ready? Right. Let's recap just a little bit and let me lay just a little tiny foundation for what we talked about last week that will help us for tonight. Genesis 6, say amen if you're there. In verse number 5. It explains why God had to destroy the people living on the earth in the day, with, of course, the exception of Noah and his family and Noah's family line. It explains um, why God destroyed every woman, child, and creature on the face of the earth except for what was put in the ark. I want to tell you tonight, your pastor standing here today believes there was a real ark and there were real animals and there's a real person named Noah. Amen? It's not, a, it's not an allegory or some story. It is the truth of God's word, so we treat it as such. But look at verse 5 with me tonight in Genesis 
chapter 6. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, look back this way. That word imagination there literally means, it describes an aspect of the human thought process. So, the thoughts, the intentions, the motives, the plans, the daydreams that man had continually. In other words, man continually thought of how they could devise new ways to do evil continually all the time. The New Living Translation has a little bit different wordplay, but it's a great translation of this verse. The Lord observed that the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Now that's pretty bad, amen? It is pretty bad. Everything they thought, everything they imagined was continually evil. And the question, of course, comes to my mind, what was going on? that man had gotten so far away from God, when you still had people that had lived and known God and known how they got themselves in the condition that they were. Look at verse 4 with me. We talked about it last week, but let's just recap, and perhaps you weren't here. It says, there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, which that language there is also after that, if you read it, and I don't in the original Hebrew, but I did click on a couple things that showed me. That's kind of a bad placement of that actual part of the verse, but it doesn't change anything. When the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. So what is being described here, and I think you could tie all this together with that verse that's sandwiched in there, Men and the thoughts of men and the processes of men, and they were continually trying to devise new evil things, but it ties back to fallen angels. Fallen angels, the sons of God, had come and taken beautiful women. They saw that the the women of men were beautiful. And here it's kind of a euphemism as we talked last week, and I'm kind of scanning around for any young years, and I don't see any this week, praise God. They came and had sexual relations with women. And out of that union, and as we talked, let, inter- let Scripture interpret Scripture. So if you see the term sons of God, and you begin to look for it in other places that we looked at last week, you come to the pretty simple conclusion that these were fallen angels. Now remember that part of it. These are fallen angels. And it's my understanding in studying this that not all the fallen angels... Because God drew a boundary between heaven and earth. We talked last week about Jude and Second Peter. I didn't go to Second Peter, but I'm going to tonight. Jude actually talks about that they left in the old world, which is pre-flood. They left their natural abode or where God designed for them to dwell and to live. We talked about a few weeks ago that angels have the ability, according to Scripture, and we brought up four or five examples, including in Hebrews where it says some people have entertained angels unaware, Right? So if they live in that abode and they're a created order of beings of God, they were not ever supposed to cross over into the natural world and lay with women. It was, it, that's why God looked at the earth and he said, wait, this can't continue on. Now all the reasons for that are myriad and I haven't studied that too deeply, except to say that if these were fallen angels, the sons of God, who manifested themselves physically, which we see in the Bible, isn't just possible. I think there's a lot of parameters put on that by God, but they can manifest themselves in the natural. It says if we entertain strangers, we could entertain angels unaware. We would not even be aware that we were entertaining an angel. But if they could do that, I want you to understand, not all fallen angels participated in this sin that God destroyed the earth over. 
There would have been, as we're going to look at tonight, there are, they were punished and God wiped out everything then and took the, the, the line of Noah in his genetics and DNA and began to propagate again the earth, destroying what was old. And if you look at that verse, it begins to enlighten you and begin, you begin to understand of why God looked at this the way that he did. This was awful. They were called the men of renown. Of course they would have called them that. They were half fallen angel and half human. Are you following me? They were considered in those days. And listen, I've studied this very deeply over the last few weeks. These writings are not just what we find in the Bible. Now, I don't suggest that you necessarily go there. But just to know that in, in ancient Mesopotamia and other cultures, and they have stories of a flood, but they also have stories of what they would call giants or people who had a lot of knowledge. Now, imagine a half-human and half-fallen angel, the intelligence, the strength. And I promised myself I wouldn't go into my demon stories tonight, but I may have to tell you a couple from the mission field, okay? All right? I may or may not. I will see what happens. But I've always been amazed at when I have participated in deliverance ministry, the strength, the strength that manifests. It's just like, wow. And, and the things that they'll come up with and, and, and different things. Yes. Right. And, and I was a great effort, but, yes, ma'am. But um, Noah, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they weren't wonderful, you know what I mean, but they did have God's day Right. So that's why. That's a very good possibility. And we're not going to go too deep into that tonight. Um, we're going to stick with the origination of, in other words, the question I want to answer tonight is if you've ever asked yourself, man, where did demons come from? We're going to answer that, but that is a great question. That's something that I am studying, and it is it is fascinating, um, especially with a lot of current events. But I, I digress. So let's talk about demons. I wasn't raised in church, and some of my experience with anything, you know, even people talking about demons or anything. I remember when I was very young, and I wasn't raised in church, but I had a grandfather who was a pastor. I have aunts and uncles. Now I have all kinds of cousins, pastor in Birmingham, pastor uh, Charlotte, different places. And one person that was very instrumental in my life was my aunt. Her husband was a pastor. My Uncle Dale was a pastor. My Aunt Kathy was a pastor's wife and worked in children's ministry and all that. But I remember saying something one time about demons. And she just looked at me real serious. She said, don't talk about them because they'll show up. Y'all was like nine years old. I'm like, great. So as we talk about this, I don't want you, I I want you to leave here tonight with a a general understanding of of my belief of where demons come from. But I also want you to know this, that we are victorious in Jesus. That that all authority in heaven and earth that God won, Jesus won at the cross, has been given to his people. So I don't want this to to incite any fear. It's just really a fascinating study. And uh, as I went down this rabbit hole, I went deep, y'all, okay? Is the word demon in the Bible? It is in the original Greek and Hebrew. It is in the original Greek and Hebrew. And we're going to go to Luke next, so be finding that while I'm talking for a minute. And it's sometimes, here's the thing, a lot of times in our Bibles, and this isn't a bad translation, but you need to understand when you come across this word, it's actually referring to demons. And we're going to talk about where they originated, the theories behind it. But it gets translated as unclean spirit, evil spirit, devils, seducing spirit, Foul spirit and familiar spirit. Evil spirit is found 13 times in the Bible. Unclean spirit, 22 times. 
devils is the plural form, and many times it's used. So look at Luke 13, if you're there. Just pop over to Luke 13, and we're going to read verse 32. And we're going to talk a lot tonight about Jesus talked a lot about demons. He dealt with them as unclean spirits, people who uh, had things going on. He delivered the young, young man, the demoniac. We're not going to talk about those stories. But I, talked, I do want to say this, though, because if this has ever fascinated you, it kind of has me. And again, I don't want to use my stories because they're anecdotal. And anecdotal simply means that just because that was my experience doesn't mean that's the truth of God's word. That's why I steer away in private. And I've shared with people in this room some wild stuff that I've seen, and, and, and especially in the Brownsville Revival where I went to school. And uh, I was an usher, so we used to have to carry people back to the d- devil room. We called it the, That's what we called it as ushers. I'm not sure what they called it. Deliverance room, I may be a be- better term. Me and a dude named Jack- George Katsouris, big, big old boy from Philadelphia, he and I worked together. And we, they always put us at the front altar because we were two bigger dudes. And we used to be responsible for getting them back to the back and, and them going through the process of deliverance. But Jesus talked a lot about demons. He, he dealt a lot with. So we're going to look at how Jesus taught on it so we can find the answer of where demons came from. This is where devils is used and it's translated different places. But look at Luke 13 verse 32. And I'm reading in the, in the King James. Don't do that super often. But King James is a translation. So you're getting word for word for the most part. I mentioned this last week, but just so you know, ESV is a very literal translation. If you happen to have an English standard version, very literal. NIV takes a lot of more translation, right? Or, or interpretation and kind of fills in some blanks. So just be aware of that as you read your Bible. Nothing wrong with any of those versions. Verse 32 says, And he said unto them, Go ye and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out devils, and I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. So the word devils, diablos, has been translated devils, but it literally is the word demon. So what are demons? Here, I'm going to give you the three most popular scholarly Opinions and theories, and there's a lot of them out there, but I'll give you the three most popular. The three most popular, number one, are demons are fallen angels. How many, just by the show of your hand, that's always been your theology, demons are fallen angels, okay? Number two most popular, and these aren't in order of popularity, they're just the three main ones out there, is demons are the disembodied spirits of a pre-edemic race. That is a very well-held theory. How many have ever heard that? They're disembodied spirits of a pre-edemic race. That's what's called in theology a study called the gap theory. That there was a gap between actually Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, or the first two verses, not the chapters, the first two verses of Genesis, and there was actually a recreation. There's a lot of analogies and things in there that we actually learned in Bible school about when God came and recreated, it was actually the slaying of great dragons and things were chaotic and there was a a, a posting or a planting of an outpost of Eden, of God's order and God's design in the garden that he planted in the earth and he he tells Adam and Eve, he says, go forth and be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. If you're going to subdue the earth, what is there to subdue? So there's a, there's a lot of really cool things you can study in that, but that's one of the theories. The third theory is demons are the disembodied spirits of Nephilim killed during the flood. Now, which one is correct? The first theory is the most popular. If you were to take a survey of everybody in here, including myself, I would have said, okay, we deal with demons and they are a fallen angels. They're the ones that rebelled against God and... 
they were the ones who are coming against us now. Now turn to Matthew 12, and we're going to look at verses 43 through 45. And Jesus taught on demons more than anybody else that we find in the Bible. And uh, it said he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. And uh, so we're going to look at the theology of Jesus. We're going to look at what he taught. I'm actually going to end tonight by showing you what he didn't teach. And I think that leads us to the answer. Because just because we've had a really long-held view of something, it doesn't necessarily mean we can't dig into the Bible. A lot of things in the Bible you've got to dig out. Amen? You've got to dig in there. So just because it's a widely held view doesn't necessarily mean... But here's what I want to say, and I want you to get this really clear in your head. Very clear. Incredibly clear. At the end of tonight, you may come up to me and say, Well, Pastor, I've studied this, and I, I've, done, you know, I've done this. Great. And I'm not going to argue your theory. Amen? Here's what I want you to know. Demons are real. Okay? But let's have some fun. Amen? Matthew 12. Look at verses 43 through 45. When an impure spirit, that's demons translated, the, the Greek uh, or uh, Aramaic uh, Greek Diablos, come out of a person, it goes, through a, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. Now, why? Why, why did they do that? It wasn't powerful enough to keep from being kicked out of the house that Jesus was referring to, which I want to say this right from the get-go. What he's referring to, and we're going to then jump over here and look at this scripture in, uh, I think it's in Second Peter, but I'll, I'll give it to you here in a second. And, and it says, and they go in and live there, and the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. Now, notice that when an evil spirit comes out of a person, it's homeless, right? Demons want to use people's body as a home. And again, I could tell you stories. I could tell you things that always, never really made sense to me. Even the story of the demoniac of them saying to Jesus, hey, you know, can we go over there into the pigs? There's something there that has always not really clicked for me, but I think we see some things here. And uh, it also goes on in another passage of Scripture. It says, and it, this is Paul talking about our earthly bodies. I just want to tie the place where it talks about they leave a house. Because if you read that and you're not really paying attention, you could just simply say, oh, well, they... There's a house that they were, you know, holed up in, and Jesus is talking about them being kicked out. The house that he is referring to is bodies. Are you catching that? Paul said this, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven. Now, you may read that and say, I can't wait for my mansion on the hill. Do I believe theologically that we have an abode, a mansion in heaven that God prepares for? Absolutely. But that's not what this is talking about. I want to show you the parallel that when he's talking about the house that is swept clean, is delivered, and the demons go out, the demon goes out. He wasn't able to stay because he's now been overpowered. He's kicked out. He goes and finds seven more, more wicked than himself. And it says this, it says, not built with human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. 
Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan in our burden, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So I paralleled that because the earthly tent that Paul is referring to is, because you know me as Jason Hanks, but this body that you see isn't, all of Jason Hanks. Everybody tracking with me? I have a spirit. I'm born again. I hope you are too. If you're not, you can do that tonight. You have a spirit that's been made alive and you have a soul. So if, if heaven forbid I lost both my arms, I'm still Jason Hanks, right? If I lost my legs, I'm still Jason Hanks because there's more to Jason Hanks than what you see. And what is being described here is a way of laying a foundation for understanding where demons come from. And it says... This house in heaven, and it's not referring to an earthly mansion, but all this reality is all through scripture. And it's talking about an earthly body that, listen, when you die and you pass on, you will have your five senses. You will be able to taste, see, smell, touch, the whole nine yards. You will have a spiritual body. That's why I mentioned last week, and it may have confused some of you, death and moving on and be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's, that's not resurrection. Resurrection, that if you're here when the rapture happens and you're taken up with him, that's when you'll receive your glorified body. Why do we need a glorified body? Is the foundation we laid a few weeks ago. It's because, as like angels, they can operate in both dimensions. Are you tracking with me? So my point is, in talking about an earthly abode or an earthly house, he is talking here about when a demon goes out of a person... My point in saying and laying this foundation is simple, but listen to me. To understand, and the reason that I'm heading down the track of believing that demons are disembodied spirits of a cross between fallen angels and human beings is because they have a desire to consistently dwell and to take over human beings. And I, and I talk, just a second, and I talk, and this, we'll do questions after, okay? And... Understand that when we talked last week, I mentioned that we don't understand when it says the population exploded. Because another question of mine was, man, you've got 8 billion people on the world. Maybe all the demons can move to the other side. Amen? We don't have to deal with them. Because there couldn't be that many that fell, one-third of the angels. It make, Listen to me. It makes a lot more connective sense in a, in, a, in a common sense way, but also a biblical way. Of There were probably more people alive on the earth then, scholars uh, would say, and whether it's absolutely correct or not, I'm not 100% sure, but scholars would say there were more than likely more people living pre-flood than water on the earth today. Because if you lived to 900 and some years old and you were able to have children for 500 or 600 years, right, you had, say you had, instead of us having two or three kids, you would have had 50 or 60 or 100 and if those hundred, they each have a hundred kids. Are you tracking with me? Who would like to keep track of a hundred kids? Not me. Not me. And I say that because Paul is teaching here, we will not be, di- we will not be disembodied spirits. That's, that's the point of the scripture that Paul's teaching. We will not be disembodied spirits. We are giving a resurrected body when Jesus comes back. Your physical body is a home for your spirit. And as Jesus was showing in the scripture we talked about, demons don't have a home when they're kicked out. Are you tracking with me? Here's the point. Here's the point. 
We could spend three months teaching on what just Jesus taught on the subject of demons, and we're not going to do that. But for the sake of our teaching here, if we understand God's created order of angels correctly, we soon, soon come to a simple conclusion that demons probably aren't fallen angels. Why aren't they fallen angels, in my opinion? Angels are not disembodied spirits. Are you tracking with me? Very clearly in the Bible, we understand that God had a created order for them, that when they were sent by God to do something on his assignment, that they would have been able to step into the natural realm. We talked about, you know, the, the, the king, I think it was Nebuchadnezzar, and the finger was writing on the wall. In other words, there was a pushing in and a crossing from this, and God drew that line, and he said, this is where your created order is. And that's where Jude talks about they left their abode and came into this one. Are you following me? The book of Jude. Go ahead and go ahead and turn to 2 Peter chapter 2 first. I'll show you both of these scriptures. The book of Jude and 2 Peter tell us those angels that left their natural abode or habitation, and they had intimate relations with women... They are kept in chains until the final judgment. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. You guys all right? Yeah. All right. Second Peter 2, verses 4 through For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. So when did God do that? When did he do that? Well, keep reading and understand the context of the scripture. Look at verse 5. And spared not the old world. What is that? The world before the flood. But save Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So what's he saying? The reason he had to destroy the world was these fallen angels had relations with women, creating the Nephilim, and Noah and his godly line were spared by God and chosen by God to carry on. So notice the time frame. Turn to Jude, chapter 1. There only is one chapter, right? But notice the time frame there, the world before the flood. Just keep tracking with me. Jude 1, verse 6. Little tiny book. I know it's hard to find, so I'll give you a second. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. Now, where have we heard left their own habitation before? We learned it in Genesis 6, verses 1 through 4. Right? Where they left their habitation in order to lay with the daughters of men. This is what this is referring back to. Understand that. He hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of the great day. Verse 7. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. If you're an underliner in your Bible or a circler, if you're one of those folks, and I do, I highlight different verses or anything, for a different study sometime, underline strange flesh right there. It's fascinating. Are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. It's not part of our study, but 
If you're going to study strange flesh, go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 39 sometimes. If you're taking notes, jot those two things down. Put your little box around it. When you're coming across your notes someday, you'll see those and you'll say, Hey, pastor told me to study that sometime. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 39. But here's what this is talking about. You have some fallen angels bound in chains, and listen to me, and some who are free. You say, Pastor, how were some? They were judged, they were punished, they were bound in chains. And I believe that there are still the operating order because not all of the fallen angels, so they are still free. Now, you say, Pastor, where's that at? We started with it in our very first study. That is found in Ephesians 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Well, that's a revelation for some of you right here tonight. Amen? You think all the problems and all the things and everything going on around you, whether personally or in our society, our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So where is their natural habitation that Second Peter and Jude are talking about? The natural habitation that they are being referred to, their habitation was the spiritual realm. Amen? But these are different classes of fallen angels. We see a hierarchy. We see order. Same order that God created them for. They fell. They've been twisted. And now they are, are still free. And they, but there's no evidence that these fallen angels have ever possessed a person. Zero. None. No evidence that there's ever been possession by a fallen angel. Why? Can somebody answer that for me that's been listening to me for 15 minutes so I don't feel like I'm just talking to it? Because they already have a celestial body. Are you tracking with me? Why would you want to possess what you already have? They have already been created by God with a celestial body. They're fallen angels. But this is where we get our principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness. Now, the demons do the bidding, I believe, of the hierarchy of fallen angels. Are you tracking with me? Listen, here's, that's the second theory. Second theory, the demons are the product of a pre-edemic race. And that, that's pure speculation. Because I've studied that out. And I think that's pure speculation. There's not a lot of scripture. We don't have any scripture to support that. But the third theory is that demons are the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. And it not only has scriptural support as we study the teachings of Jesus, but here, here's what I want to point out. And when I start to talk about this, I've already had one question Sunday, and it was in reference to uh, John being boiled in a pot of oil. And very honest, sincere question that I was very easily answered and they're like, oh, hey, I've never seen that in the Bible. I said, well, it's not in the Bible. These are early church teachings and, and early church fathers. Actually, it was such a common understanding and knowing in the first century, second century church that this is what happened to John, that even the early church fathers would just mention it in passing and mention it just as everybody knew this information. But we're so far removed from all that, sometimes we have to go back and study different things to understand it. But does it change the truth of God's Word? No. Could it be something that didn't have? Of course it could. But when I begin to talk about these subjects, it's so important to understand something very, very important. 
the, the, the understanding that demons were disembodied spirits of the Nephilim that's mentioned in Genesis 4, 5, and 6, and that story there in 6 that we've already talked about at length, the, in the, in, in the, when Jesus came on the scene, this was such a widely held understanding of every Jew that there was no question of where demons came from because it was widely understood and it was just just nailed down that this was the origination of demons. Let me. Does anybody know what the most common name in Jesus' day for demons and what they actually referred to them as? Does any, has anybody ever heard this? Here it is. It's Tamu Nephal. Tamu Nephal. And Tamu Nephal is a compound word. Tamu means this, one who is dead or buried. And Nephal is the singular word for Nephilim. Nephilim are a plural when you're referring to Nephilim as a whole. Tamu, so in other words, every time they referred to a demon in their culture or somebody's dealing with a demonic activity or they're having to do their, their deal to see somebody delivered from demons, they would have referred to, and it literally means a dead nephal, a dead fallen angel. That's what they understood very commonly in Jesus' day. Tamu, nephal. It's a form of nephilim or Simply put, they referred to him as, hey, so-and-so's dealing with this. And the kid, you know, the young man who they brought to Jesus, Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, comes back down. They're trying to cast this out. And they actually went to Jesus, and they were like, hey, why, why can't we do this? He said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. So an understanding of when you are dealing with something demonic, and to take a little shortcut here, but when you are dealing with something demonic, some of, these, some of these demons are stronger than others. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, if Jesus said if one gets cast out because he's not powerful enough, what does he do? Goes and finds seven more, more wicked than himself. So there's an understanding that there are some demons that are more wicked than other demonic spirits. So let me explain this. Jewish teaching in history was a large part of oral traditions that were passed down. And I mentioned this before, but just wrap your mind around this, that Adam lived uh, well over 900 years old. He would have been telling the stories that God had shared with him personally and himself. He would have been passing down oral traditions and telling them of why things are the way that they are. So if you skip ahead a little bit, basically what you have is the second temple period in Jewish culture would have been after the Old Testament is formed and, and the books are canonized in their Jewish culture. And they had their Bible, they had their scriptures, they had the way and everything that they taught. So in between, Jesus showing up on the scene and um, Jesus showing up on the scene in this period of time, they began to basically have other extra-biblical writings that they would have well known, they would have been oral traditions, but also written traditions and things that they had given them. And the reason that I want to kind of explain what I mean when you use something that is outside, just like I mentioned in my sermon and studying of, of church traditions, holds very simply that John was boiled, and when they, Domitian tried to boil him, he was pulled up out of the oil, and literally no oil was even on him 
couldn't kill him. So he exiles him to Patmos, which we know because John said, I was on the Isle of Patmos, and at the Lord's day I was in the Spirit and all those kind of things. Now, here's what I want to tell you and to explain why we can look at certain writings and begin to have a clear understanding of what the Bible is talking about something. It's okay to begin to study and, and delve into other areas and books to begin to flesh out what the Bible, listen to me, what the Bible clearly teaches and says. Amen? And invariably, I would have the same answer for you that I would have for anybody else that I gave to my niece about a year and a half ago and Leah's roommate in Bible college about six months after that, and I thought it was amazing that she had texted me the same question I had answered just a few months ago because my niece is a very much a baby Christian and very young in her faith. And out of the blue, she texted me, she didn't call me pastor, she called Uncle Jason. She said, what about the book of Enoch? And I said, put it down and read the Gospels. Read the Psalms. Here's what I want to point out by way of teaching and understanding why I would say that to a young Christian and why I would say it to this group of people. Because if you begin to delve into and quote the book of Enoch, we understand and the Jews understand very clearly that these were a group of writings that existed in the days of Jesus that were extra biblical. Are you listening to me? They were extra-biblical writings. And the reason they were extra-biblical, and the reason that I would look at you and say, don't even pick it up, is because this is the Word of God. And what this is, and I've taught on this a year or so ago when I taught on how the Bible was canonized. Canon just simply means a measuring rod. They had a certain criteria of measuring rod that they, this is the inerrant word of God. There is nothing missing. There is nothing that we don't have in order to see who God is, who, what salvation is, and who Jesus is. Now let me give you a little example of why it's okay to begin to understand that they would have had oral traditions, they would have had extra biblical writings that painted a very clear picture of the subject we're talking about tonight of where demons came from because... Here's what I want to point out. If 2 Peter and the book of Jude quote the book of Enoch, there's something to it. Do you understand? But what I want to point out to you is don't come to me in two weeks and, Pastor, I memorized half the book of Enoch. Don't do it. Don't do it. And here's why. And here's what I want to explain to you. And this will help maybe explain some other things to you in the way sermons are formed and the way pastors preach and, and everything else. I just grabbed this book off my shelf, but this is a great book. If you ever get a chance to get this book, Bait of Satan is about offense. It's one of the best books. But listen to me. When I pick this up and read it, there are some things in here that aren't true. <laughs> But that does not keep me from reading it and being blessed and growing in my relationship with God. Are you tracking with me? Because this is the Word of God. And the reason that our early church fathers looked at the book of Enoch and they said that doesn't belong in there was very simple. And it's the same reason I believe it doesn't belong in our canonized Bible that we have right here in front of us is because all those writings that the Jews were reading and passing down in oral traditions were all writings that were ascribed to biblical characters like Enoch, right? There was, but here's the thing. He didn't write it. He was raptured. 
and the first measuring rod of a book that you hold in your hand every time you read the Bible is they knew who the author was. But it doesn't keep me from being and have understanding. And when I see something and understand that is quoted by, and why was it quoted by Peter and Jude? This was such a commonly held view and a commonly read book that they would have understood that the, the book of Enoch, I point that out because that's where in, in Ezekiel it talks about angels being watchers. And being watchers, in other words, we live in a three-dimensional physical world. They live in a spirit realm. They can watch us, but we can't see necessarily what's going on around us. Are you tracking with me? That's where we get some of those, but it is in other parts of the Bible. Because if I read this book right here, I'm going to be influenced by what it teaches because it's the truth of God's word right here. Everybody tracking with me? It's okay to do that. Here's what I want to point out. I'm going to end. I'm not ending right now. I'll end in a few minutes because I want to give you... Uh, just a few things of, about demons, real quick. And but here, here's what I here's what I, I, I thought of. When Jesus came on the scene, this was such a widely held view that demons were originated from disembodied spirits of the Nephilim that we see in Genesis five, five and six. This was such a highly highly held view. The Son of God, Jesus, who we worship and who is our Savior, was not afraid to correct people on their wrong thinking. It has been said unto you, but I say, everybody tracking, he never once, he never once corrected any of them on the origination of the demonic. Never once did it. That fascinates me. Again, you can have all your theories, and you could certainly even come meet with me and say, Pastor, it's this, it's this, it's this. Here's what I want you to know. Demons are real. They're not a figment of imagination. It, 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 it begins to tie together and you begin to understand why they want to have you open a door to them so that they can have influence in your life. They can entice you. They can influence you. They can have sway over people. They can literally possess people. And again, I'm not going to tell, especially for the sake of time, I'm not going to tell you my... Next week, I'll tell you my couple mission field stories. Amen? All right, I'll tell you. The word is pseudepigrapha. It's a compound word that simply means to falsely attribute to somebody. So if they knew the book of Enoch was falsely attributed to Enoch, it's not in the Bible. You tracking with me? But that doesn't mean there's not some truth. Amen? Okay, so let's give you some facts about demons to close tonight. Here they are. Demons vary in wickedness and power. Demons vary in wickedness and power. Matthew 12, verse 45, for the sake of time, you don't have to turn there, but jot it down if you're going to study these out, and I encourage you to. And we already talked about this scripture, but here it is. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. Why do they seek a body? My opinion is because they're disembodied spirits. And Jesus taught this. He says, a person's delivered, the house is clean and swept and put in order. And if it's not filled with something, who are we to be filled with? The spirit of God. So when they come back, in other words, you see there that if, if this one is so wicked and he gets kicked out, he's going to go find some that are more wicked. So there's a varying degree of wickedness in the demonic order. 
He basically says, hey, man, I need some backup. I'm going to go find seven demons more wicked than myself. This is also Mark 9, verses 28 through 29. And when he has come into the house, his disciples ask him privately, why could we not cast him out? They're talking about the story of, of dealing with the young man who was being thrown in the pit and convulsed. And he said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. And it's referring to a demon that Jesus had cast out himself. In other words, some demons are more powerful than others. Number two, demons seek to impress and entice and if possible to possess a person. This isn't just in the New Testament. If you want to go back and look at this later, Old Testament, 1 Samuel 16 verse 14 in the Old Testament. It says, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Troubled means to be oppressed. And what troubles me is the words from the Lord. Let me explain that. It doesn't mean that it came from God. What it means is when it's talking about and the spirit of God departed, what it's talking about is if you're a blood-bought son and daughter of God, you have an umbrella of protection over you and around you, right? But if that gets lifted because of our own debauchery and our own feeling like no need to repent of something or continuing going down a certain path, there is a point in time where we are walking on dangerous ground because it didn't come from God. God, in other words, when it talks about Proverbs in the very, or Ecclesiastics in the very first, very first paragraph, it says, and there's nothing new under the sun. What it's saying is that it's a kind of a Jewish idiom that says, in God, if you're with him and for him and following him, then he will cover you, right? And Spirit of the Lord departed. James 1 verse 13 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. It's that word Enticed. That is demonic activity. And if you want to be more specific, the term that the Bible uses for demonic activity more than any other 15 times is something called a familiar spirit. And here's the thing. Think about this for a second. Just think. Super, half angel, half man. They were so super intelligent, super strong, and super powerful. They called them men of renown, the, the big guys of old disembodied spirits of that creation and you understand why God had to wipe it out. Is everybody tracking with me? My point is they have been around a long time and they know your family. They know your lineage. They know in your past the great-great-grandfather struggled with this. Great-great-grandma struggled with that. Your mom and dad struggled with this. In other words, what we're learning here in James is the enemy, when they entice you and demons will come and entice you and they're trying to lure you into something called sin. And when you get into sin and it's unrepentant, you're walking down a very dangerous path, right? Familiar spirits operate in that way because they're very intelligent. They're, they're, they've been around a long time and they know what to entice people with. They, they know how to operate. They know how to... Tempt us. Amen? That's the thing about temptation, right? It's so tempting. Right? So, it's mentioned 15 times. They, in other words, they, they're not going to tempt you with something that is not tempting. They're not going to put something in front of you that you're not going to struggle with. So, real quick, what about possession? 
Again, they seek possession because they're disembodied spirits. I had a, an encounter in Africa that I'll share next week. And uh, it, was, it, it opened my eyes, but I didn't understand at the time. I think through this study I began to understand. They seek possession because I believe they're disembodied spirit. So what opens the door to demon possession? Number one, worship of other gods and idols. Quickly, Deuteronomy, jot it down. Deuteronomy 32, verse 13. If you've never circled that in your Bible, circle it. Because the worship of, of other gods and idols will open the door to the demonic. In verse 17 it says, And they sacrificed unto devils, not to God, capital G, to gods whom they knew not. To new gods they came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. So they sacrificed to these gods, and what these, these gods, little g's, were disembodied spirits of Nephilim, and they're worshiping them. And if you're going to worship them, then you're opening the door to the enemy. Number two, involvement in the occult. Anybody help me out? I, I'm, you guys will know this because I'm an 80s baby and you guys are mostly 80s and grew up 80s. Who was the lady who got on TV and said, call uh, to get your, your uh, future read? Cleo, thank you. I knew you would knew that, know that. I knew it. Miss Cleo, thank you. It's been bugging me all day long. Listen, Miss Cleo is going to open up a door to demons. Stay away from Miss Cleo. Stay away from tarot cards. Stay away from crystals. Stay away from... It is demonic and it's the occult. And how we've become so comfortable with the occult in our society is scary because it's demonic. Jot this down. Deuteronomy 18 verses 10 through 12. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, a charmer, a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. What are they talking about here? Demonic activity. Number three, drugs. The word in Galatians for when he talks about the works of the flesh, there's a word there that is, that is a Greek word called pharmakia. Pharmakia is where we get the word pharmacy. So the occult, worshiping idols, worshiping idols, and, and I've traveled all over the world. It's amazing. You'll go into countries like India, and what are they doing? They're literally worshiping. They're not worshiping God. They're worshiping demons. Are you tracking with me? You do that and you're opening up a door, according to the Bible, to allowing something in your life that will take you a lot further and take you in a bad, 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 bad place. Genesis 4, verse 7. If you live by this one verse, you would keep yourself from worrying about anything demonic. It would save you a lot of trouble. This is God speaking to Cain. And this is what I'm going to leave you guys with tonight. Is Genesis 4, verse 7. God speaking to Cain, he says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So there's a picture painted there that sin and the enemy is crouching at the door. And here's why I say, and you'll hear it more next week and the week after as we finish this, don't open the door to the devil. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. There's a, there's a lot of doors that we open. Listen, you open a door of pornography, you're opening a door to the enemy. 
It's going to upset some of you. You open the door to gambling? You're opening the door to the enemy. Because the more you get into any of those things, the deeper it's going to take you. And the deeper something takes you, if it's not moving you towards God, it's moving you away from God. There is no static place in the kingdom. You're either going in his direction or you're going backwards. We're not people that go backwards. Amen? Amen. So to recap, as we've known and understand that when he says the, the sons of God laid with the women of men, created the Nephilim, which were giants of their day, but they were half angel, fallen angel. Some of those fallen angels, because of the wickedness, in other words, and this is how I kind of, I always think about my sermons on Wednesday night after I sit in my recliner and I think, I, I thought to myself, you know, how wicked and evil a fallen angel had you, did you have to be to finally decide, man, we haven't made God mad enough. Let, let's, let's step out of our abode and man, women are beautiful. Let's go do, I mean, I don't, it broke God's heart so much of what was happening that it literally said he repented of, of, of creating man. And it wasn't all of them. It was a group and we don't know how many, but listen, God dealt so finely with this that he literally sent a flood on the earth. And I believe those disembodied spirits, it, it explains also why there's so many. And this was going on prevalent in that time and day and age. But it also, we understand that uh, they were chained. And listen, the lake of fire was not created for human beings. It's created for fallen angels and the demons, right? It's not meant for us to go there. But unfortunately, some people will send themselves there by not choosing Jesus Christ. Demons are real, and they still operate today. Some of you have the gift of discernment, and you can begin to see behind what something is going on, what's going on behind the person. And, and God doesn't always show you those things because he's given people room to repent of something, right? Your gift of discernment is not to be used to gossip. God will take it away from you is what he'll do. He's giving you discernment of with spirit somebody's operating in so that you can pray for them, so that you can help them. Amen? Stand with me tonight. We're going to continue this next week. You guys good? Yes. All right. I know we're diving into deep waters. And since I started teaching on this, I've gone through more spiritual warfare than I have in a while. Because if, if you'll wake up and realize what's enticing you and influencing you, you'll stay so far away from it. <laughs> I don't have to preach holiness messages. I just got to point out what is behind what you're getting into, some of you. And you'll run so far from it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You do not want that hedge of protection removed. You do not want, as we looked at in the story of Saul, and Saul started off great, started off anointed, started off following God. And one thing that I really believe in the story of Saul, that really kind of God said, uh-uh, is he went and consulted the witch of Endor. He's trying to call up that whole story when you read it. I know we're short on time. That whole story when you read it, the witch of Endor, you read the story, and she's shocked. Samuel really showed up, right? He's like, she's like, whoa, you didn't tell me this is who we're conjuring up. I'll tell you a story next week about (laughs) an encounter with somebody that came to me and and asked literally in my office there at the church I worked at, you know, do you want me to channel? So I'm like, uh, let's pray in tongues right now. Let's let's pray in the Holy Spirit. I got some stories for you next week, but we're going to delve even deeper of the influence, how we how we can minister to people who are under the influence of the demonic. 
You don't have to live in Citrus County very long to run into people who are under the influence of demons. I don't say that jokingly. I'm telling you, it's around you all the time. All the time. And the more understanding we have, the better we can minister to people. And that's what it's all about. Amen? Is to see people free. And until they awaken and realize the spirit that's operating, then they'll never be free. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, I know this is meat, and I pray and treat it as such. Anything said of me, Lord, and it is outside of your word, Father, let it fall by the wayside as always. But anything taught and said under the unction of the Holy Spirit, let us digest this as spiritual meat. Let it increase our faith. Let it increase our knowledge of you. Because in doing that, Lord, we will be better used by the Holy Spirit in ministering life and salvation and healing and deliverance to the people that we run into all around us, God. We love you tonight. I pray that hedge of protection around each life and heart. God, I thank you that you've covered us like an umbrella against the works and schemes of the enemy. May our houses be blessed with your anointing. May our lives be blessed with your anointing. May our work be blessed with your anointing. May you place your angels, the good ones, Lord, all around us, Father. Open our eyes that we can see what's going on around us continually so that we can minister to others, God. We love and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I know I went a little long tonight, but uh, good stuff, y'all. Good stuff.